0: We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe we'll get done with it today. I'm not going to promise that, but it's possible. Uh, Resurrection incentives is where we left off last week, I think. Uh, I couldn't remember where we stopped, to be honest with you, so I'm kind of shooting in the dark now. Uh, The problem that was going on, that one of the reasons why Paul spent so much time on uh, the resurrection was... uh, they were teaching that there, were, there was no resurrection of the dead. And, of course, Paul is uh, demonstrating uh, how foolish that would be or how foolish we would be, really, if that's the case. Uh, in regards to those who are making the charge that there is no resurrection, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Paul's not teaching a resurrection for the dead. Uh, Some people were and his question is why do they baptize for the dead? If they say there's no resurrection for the dead the same people who said there was no resurrection were baptizing For the resurrection of the dead those who were already dead Uh, and he said It's illogical what they're doing and saying why are they baptized for the dead if uh, There is no resurrection why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? This is Paul and the other apostles and other people, uh, preachers and like, uh, doing mission work. Uh, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why, why, are, why are we uh, continuing to preach the gospel in lieu of the fact that people are trying to take our lives? What makes us do this? And this is one of the greatest arguments of all, I think, uh, there's a lot of good arguments, but one of the great arguments, of course, is uh, during the first three centuries, uh, millions of people uh, died b- rather than denounce Christ. Uh, we know the secular history tells us that uh, all the apostles, except for John, uh, died violent death at the hands of the enemies of the cross. Why, why would they do that if there is no resurrection of the dead? Why Why not just denounce Christ and live? I mean, well, they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to, you know, admit that they were preaching a lie. They're going to be dead. What difference does it make? Uh, it, there's only one reason that people would give their lives. It's because they believe in something that is greater than they are. Now, you may be wrong in what you believe. These terrorist bombers and such things, they think they're gonna go to heaven and get 72 virgins and all that stuff, and they willingly uh, die for the cause. They believe it. They believe there's something awaited them after death. Therefore, they're willing to lay down their lives for what they believe. Yes, but what they believe is wrong. That's true. It is wrong. And their deaths are in vain. But in the case of the gospel, you're talking about people who were eyewitnesses to the Christ, who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. And these are the people who lay down their lives. They weren't following a lie. They were following something they've seen with their own eyes. Uh, Paul the Apostle was lifted up to the third heaven and conversed with the Christ. Uh, and when he came back, uh, he was, of course, an apostle, and he uh, spent his life uh, preaching the gospel. Why would he do that if it was all a lie? Why, why would anybody live a miserable, miserable life like Paul lived? And he lived a miserable life. I mean, it was horrible. Uh, why would they do that? It's because they knew there was a resurrection. Uh, they hint, or Muslims, rather, they're wrong. They believe a lie. That was recorded back in the 7th century A.D. Uh, the mystical Muhammad supposedly taught his disciples. I don't want to get into all that. But anyway, people believe it. Where's the evidence? Well, there is none. Well, in the case of the Christianity, where's the evidence? you got eyewitnesses who testified to the fact of what they saw. It wasn't people three or four generations away that recorded things. These were the actual eyewitnesses that recorded it. Why would they lay their lives down for a lie? People don't do that. You'll fess up to the lie before you die for it. It's not something people are want to do. Every now and then somebody who's not mentally stable might do it. But you're talking about millions of people who laid down their life during the first three centuries. Christianity was born in blood. It was sanctified, ratified by blood. Uh, the blood was so thick in those first three centuries. A testimony to the confidence that people had in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Paul said, why, why would we do that if it weren't true? I affirm by the boasting of you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, and he did. Every day when Paul got up, I guess he supposed this is the last day of my life. I can't imagine him waking up and thinking anything else because it was, it was, it was one fiasco after another. He was constantly being hounded. He was uh, he was very famous and he was very hated. Probably the most hated man on earth was uh, Paul, the apostle. Uh, Jesus was more hated than he was, but Paul was better known than Jesus was. And uh, he probably had more people hated him, I suppose, than our Lord did. Uh, every day, I think, would be potentially his last day to live. I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? This is an allusion to the games that took place in the Colosseum. Uh, It was uh, common that in the various Colosseums, and there were a lot of Colosseums, uh, the Romans built coliseums in every city that had a population of so many, I don't know what it was, but uh, I was in several of those coliseums back when I was in Israel. Uh, There's several of them built in Israel. Uh, and uh, one of the things, uh, especially in Rome, that was very popular was bringing wild beasts from all over the world. and. Uh, man-eating creatures, and they would uh, start out making gladiators fight them, fight these animals. Sometimes a gladiator would win, but most of the time the animal won. And then they decided to uh, use slaves because it was such a popular thing. People loved the blood and guts that uh, they used slaves to do it, and then finally it came down to using Christians to do it. Uh, Paul's saying, that's what he's alluding to here, like those who have fought beasts, animals in uh, Ephesus. Uh, I did the same thing in Ephesus. Not with animals, I wouldn't think, but with people, men who acted like beasts. And a lot of men act like beasts. They're very mean and cruel and vicious, and Paul had to uh, contend with these people. What advantage is it to me that I have to fight with these people? Why, why, Why should I do that? Why would I do that? It makes no sense. There's only one logical reason Paul would put up with all this nonsense, and that was because he believed in the resurrection of the dead and his confidence was so strong no matter what happened, he continually went back and fought another day. Every day potentially was his last day. If the dead do not rise, well let us eat, drink, tomorrow we die. Why not just get married and get him a little farm with his own uh, uh, vineyard? Uh, Why not just sit there all day and uh, eat grapes and cheese it's a lot better than doing what he was doing. His life, I don't know how many of us would even live his life. It it had to be a horrible life. Uh, this may be in part due to the fact that he was a, a, a persecutor of the Church of Christ. Uh, he imprisoned people and consented to the death of some Christians. Uh, he could have been chosen for this particular life be, because of uh, what he had done in the past, I don't know. But uh, because of what he had done, he, he didn't grumble, he just uh, kept on keeping on. Uh, he was unique, but then he had a unique background also. Sometimes our guilt of what we have done is so enormous that it drives us forward. Well, you're supposed to forgive and forget, you don't forget. You don't forget them scars stay with you all your life. You Couldn't forget if you tried to. Uh, You gotta live with it. And sometimes the guilt spurs us on. Sometimes guilt stops us from doing what we ought to do. In that case, guilt can be a very bad thing. But a lot of times guilt spurs us on, makes us go forward because Well, it's like you're running from your past, more or less. Well, if the dead do not rise, let us live. (coughs) Live it up. Let us have a big New Year's Eve. Uh, Do not be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. The easiest person to lie to is yourself. Don't do that, though. Evil company corrupts good habits. They had evil company in Corinth, and I believe this is what he was talking about. You got to keep it in context. Remember what's going on? You got false teachers in Corinth. You got people who claimed to be apostles that weren't apostles, and what was happening? It was affecting the church. It was affecting their beliefs. The whole the whole system of Christianity is falling apart. Where did that come from? From these teachers, these leaders they had. Don't be deceived, you brethren there at Corinth evil companions corrupts your good morals. Uh, You started well, what went wrong? The only thing that changed was the teachers they brought in. They they taught uh, a false doctrine and it was affecting the believers. The believers were believing what these uh, preachers were saying. They were probably educated people, very knowledgeable people, good speakers, they could sell their wares without any problem. And the Corinthians, because they were lower caste, probably mostly uneducated, feeling like these these educated people must know what they're talking about. After all, they are educated, and they succumb to their teaching. Mm. Do not be deceived. You allow them teachers in there with you, they're going to rub off on you. It's true in... Daily life, but I think Paul was talking primarily about the church You got to be careful Who's instructing you? Lest they lead you into a deception Awake to righteousness and do not sin Righteousness of course is the ways of God Psalm 119 verse 172 all your commandments are righteousness Awake, be aware of what righteousness is. And if you are, do not sin. The way we keep from violating divine law is by knowing what divine law is. We've got to know it before we can avoid violating it. You've got to know what to speak. I was going the other day, I don't, I forgot where I was. But I was riding. I was running about 60 mile an hour. Speed, I speed limit's usually 55. And, you know, they give you between 55 and 60, and I I kind of lean towards the high end of that. Uh, anyway, I was I was cruising through. I hadn't seen a, a speed limit. I just figured, well, this is a big highway. You know, <laughs> you know, surely this is a speed limit. And got up here a little ways, and the speed limit was 35 mile an hour. But I didn't know it till I saw the sign. Once I saw the sign, I knew what the law was, and I knew I was breaking the law. But I had to know the law before I knew I was breaking it. And that's the way it is with righteousness. You've got to know what righteousness is to avoid violating righteousness. Some, he said, do not have the knowledge of God. And that was true. Their teachers, for example, didn't have the knowledge of God. They had their own knowledge. It was something they had fabricated themselves. There were a lot of people in the church that did not have the knowledge of God. What do you do? Awake to righteousness. You learn. You study and you learn and you know what it is God would have you to do. Okay, onto the resurrected body. Uh, someone will say, well, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? That's a question all of us are thought about, and I'm sure. Uh, how? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, how? Uh, with what body, what does it look like? Are we gonna look like we do now? Are we gonna look differently? Are we gonna be able to walk through walls? You know, a lot of questions run through the mind when it comes to the resurrection of the dead. And since we haven't seen anybody resurrected ourselves, we don't, we just don't know. Uh, None of us living today do know other than what's told us in scripture, which has recorded the resurrection of the dead, in some cases. Cremation is a question that some people ask. Can a person be cremated? uh, I've heard things all across the board. I remember I heard a preacher one time saying it was a sin to be cremated. And the first thing I thought of myself was, well, what about the people who were uh, hung up on a pole and set on fire? They were cremated. It was in a different way. It's still cremation. They were burned up. What about them? They lose their soul because of cremation? Can a person be cremated today without violating the will of God? You're supposed to be buried. That's what the Bible says. Well, I've never read that. Uh, if you've ever read it, let me know. I don't know what that's a command. Uh, a lot of people have been buried at sea during the war. It'd be a violation of a law supposed to be buried in the earth. Uh there's a lot of rules that come up that uh I've never read in the Bible. Is cremation a sin? I don't know how it could be. The Bible doesn't uh have anything to say about the matter that I'm aware of. Uh I don't know what the difference is between cremation and rotting in the ground. Whether you rot in the ground or you're cremated, in the end it's ashes to ash and dust to dust. It's all gonna wind up the same way. I don't see what the problem is. I think people should be able to do what they wanna do without me judging them. I don't really feel like it's my place to judge anybody in such matters. The Lord hasn't said anything about it that I know of. And therefore, I don't say anything about it either. I figured to each his own. But how does a cremated person come forth? That's our question. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know how the answer to how does a rotten body come forth, I don't know. When, if, if you were to dig down and find a, a rotten body, been there for two, 300 years, I don't know if you could tell the difference between the body and the ground. I, I just don't know such things. How does God resurrect? I don't know, but I know He will, and that's all I have to know. I don't know how God said, "Let there be light," and light appeared. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how God separated uh, the firmaments. I, I don't know how God did anything. He did much. When it comes to the resurrection, I don't know, but that doesn't bother me, because there isn't a whole lot I do know when it comes to that difficult stuff. You foolish one. Paul explained some of it. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. The grain dies, you put it in the earth, then it comes back to life. What you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be. When you stick a grain of corn into the earth, That grain of corn doesn't pop up out of the ground. A great big stalk pops up out of the ground. Perhaps wheat or or some other grain, he said. God gives it a body as he pleases. It's his doing. And to each seed, its own body. Each seed bears up for its own kind. That's the will of God. And the design of the body, that is the will of God as well. I guess a grain of corn could have produced an ear of corn But for some reason, God chose to put it on a stalk and usually put two years to a stalk. Why, I don't know. That's what he did. I just don't know. I'm kinda used to it though, it doesn't bother me. Well, it's the same way it is with the resurrected body. I don't know. How does dead corn come back to life? You ever thought about that? It's dead. How does it come back to life? I don't know. It does. I've seen it happen. Why be so puzzled over the resurrection of the body? There is so little we know about anything other than divine will. But when it comes to running the universe, man, I'm walking in the dark. So are most scientists. Well, so are all scientists, really. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. It's all different. There are different kinds. And that's according to the divine design. There are also celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. Uh, That's a, what does that mean? Well, the English Standard Version says, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and I think that would be a correct rendition of the passage. There are the bodies up in the heavens, uh, the sun, the moon, stars, yada, yada, yada. And then there is uh, the bodies on the earth, various kinds of bodies. you got human, animal, birds, fish. you got trees. you got grass. you got all kinds of different life forms on the earth. They're different from what's up in the universe, and that's what he's pointing out. The glory of the heavenly, well, that's one kind. The glory of the earthly, well, that's another kind. There's all kinds of bodies, each according to God's choosing. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. Even though there are heavenly bodies, the heavenly bodies differ from one another. The sun and the moon, they both hang out there in space on nothing, but they're not the same. The sun's a lot hotter than the moon. The moon shines at night, not the sun. They're different. They're different from the earthly bodies. They're different from one another, all according to the divine design. Everything's that way. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it's dead, it's corruptible, it is raised in incorruption, a body that will never be destroyed. You know, even those who go to torment uh, the body that is raised from the earth that they're put back in, that body is also immortal, it will never die. And of course the spirit that's put back in that body was created to never die also. So you got a person living in an incorruptible body that goes to eternal punishment in a fire that will never end. Nothing, nothing is worse than that. We, uh, we have to do what we can to help people uh, come to know the Lord and the truth, we can't just let people aimlessly go go on because we know what awaits the disobedient. And it's, uh, it's hard to imagine, for me it's so hard to imagine, Someone says, do you believe God would really do that? It's God who told me he would. That's the only reason I know it's because he told us. And I believe him. I believe he only tells the truth. The body is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory, a glorious body. Our Lord was buried in dishonor among men but he was raised in glory of all men. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. It's going to be much different. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Adam got breathed into his life, the the nostrils rather, the breath of life. and Adam became a living being. He's the father of a soul. The last Adam, Christ, he became a life-giving spirit, and he's the father of those who obey the gospel. <clears throat> There's two fathers. We all stem from one or the other, or both. In our case, both. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. God uh, formed Adam from the dust of the earth, breathed through his nostrils the breath of life. The body came before the spirit. The first man was of the earth. He was made of dust. The second man is the Lord. He came from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's us. We are like our father Adam in many ways. As is the heavenly man, the Christ, so also are those who are heavenly, the Christians. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, our appearance, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, the raised Christ. We will be like him. But I don't know what he looked like either. Victory, whatever we look like, we will know one another. It's not going to change that. Uh, it's not the body we know it's the person that lives inside the body that's the one that we know if I was in the back room where you couldn't see me and I was talking through a microphone you would know it was me you listen to me enough you know my voice my mannerisms so on and so forth you don't have to see my body to know that I'm talking okay it's not the body that you know it's the man inside the body he's the one you know by appearance you can recognize me when I open my mouth you know me the spiritual body won't change that we'll still know one another on the other side (coughs) Now, this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I'll tell you a mystery. He's talking about the living. We know what happened to those who were in the earth. They're going to be raised with a new body. What about those of us who are alive when Jesus comes? We shall not all sleep. All of us won't die. There will be some living, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet when Jesus comes for the trumpet will sound the dead will rise incorruptible and then we after they are raised incorruptible we shall be changed there's going to be an order to it all there'll be the trumpet there'll be the resurrection of the dead and they'll go on to meet the Lord in the air and we will be changed, those of us who are alive. Why, Paul? For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Just like the body in the ground has to be changed when it comes forth, even so our bodies must be changed before we'll go up and meet the Lord in the air. Why? Because the corruptible can't inherit incorruption we can't go to heaven in this body thank god our bodies will be changed into an immortal body so when this corruptible has put on corruption this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory o oh, death where is your sting o oh, hades Where is your victory? Remember what Jesus said. On this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevent it. What's gonna happen? Where is the victory of Hades? The gates are gonna be flung wide open and those who are dwelling there will come out and re-enter their new bodies. First, those who are dead, first the righteous, dead, and then we shall be changed, and then those who are not righteous. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory has already been had. The victory isn't... A possibility. The victory is in the bank, so to speak. That's why Paul would say, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than a conqueror. In what way? We've already conquered, the victory's been had. All we have to do is claim the prize. Be faithful unto death, the Lord said, and I will give you the crown of life. It's waiting. It's just waiting for us to show up, but it's already there. It's not an iffy proposition. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast. Be immovable. Don't be swayed by a false teacher, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always involved in the king's business. Well, you gotta know what the king's business to know what it means to always abound in the king's business. Uh, Most people, uh, well, the king's business, if you are a husband and a father, the king's business is that you be a, a great husband and a good father. That's the king's business. If you're doing the things that a great husband would do, you're doing the king's business. If you're doing the good things a good father would do, you're doing the king's business. You know, you're looking now how many hours of your day is spent doing such things. If you go to work, provide for your family, you're doing the king's business because that's what he wants you to do. If you're a good homemaker, you're doing the king's business. If you go to sleep at night and sleep for eight hours, you're doing the king's business because he gave you a body that has to have sleep. In all these things, you're doing the king's business. You're abounding in the work of the Lord. But you know what he's talking about. He's talking about those other things, like prayer, studying, conversing with other people, helping other people who need our help. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men but especially those who are of the household of faith. It's not that you have to go around knocking on doors all day. You haven't got time. you got to be a good father. You've got to be a good husband. You can't go to that. It's not that you gotta teach a Bible class. Maybe you're not skilled in that way. Maybe uh, you don't have the the ability to even teach publicly. For some people, it's a nerve-wracking experience. Well, don't. If you don't have the ability, don't do it. You Shouldn't do something you're not able to do You're not supposed to do those things you're not able to do. You're supposed to do those things you are able to do. Well, what is it? I don't know, we're all different. You got your thing, I got my thing. We're all different. The thing is though, when we all do our thing, the thing's getting done. A lot of things are getting done when we all do our thing. that's one of the reasons we're, we're all different. It makes us successful as a whole, which is what the Lord intended in the first place. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's not a, <clears throat> that's not a you know, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do the other thing. You know, I've never told people how, how much time they gotta spend in prayer a day, or how much time they gotta spend studying. That's none of my business. It is not my business. You ought to do what's good for you. That's the only thing I know for sure. I do what's good for me, and you ought to do what's good for you. How much time do you have? How much ability do you have? How long can you read and comprehend what you're reading? I don't know. It's not my place to tell you what to do. That's for you to figure out. You're a child of God. You answer to the Lord Jesus, not me. What does the Lord want you to do? I know what he wants me to do. And you need to figure out what it is he wants you to do. And then abound in it. It's not that hard. It's hard to figure out what you might be good at. I don't know if I've ever found out what I might be good at. You never know for sure, I don't think. But if people don't run you off, maybe it is okay. Always abounding, knowing your labor is not in vain. You're not wasting your time. Your time is being well spent.
1: Hey, I did get
0: through it today. (sighs) We probably ain't got much time for chapter 16. Chapter 16 is almost... in and out it's not that difficult uh the collection for the saints boy I spoke too soon didn't I verse 1 concerning the collection for the saints as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia as the Galatian saints are expected to do so are you expected to do notice the commonality between the churches Paul said he preached everywhere and in every place the same thing, wherever he went. The expectations of Center Grove is the same as the expectations of uh, McGoinsville, or Free Will, or anywhere else. Uh, We've all got the same instructions, the same expectations. Uh, We're all responsible for the same thing ultimately, each congregation, and this is implied in what Paul's saying here as the churches of Galatia were expected to give, you Corinthians, you're expected to give in the same manner. It's gonna be the same rule for all people. Not one set of rules for free will, one for us and one for McCoynsville, but we all have the same rule and we're expected to follow it. On the first day of the week, Jews originally met on Saturday, the sixth day of the week. course we know that changed uh, with the Christian era. Uh, our time of coming together by divine command is on the first day of the week. On the first day of Keta, the word Keta means every. Uh, in other English translations it's translated every. It should be that way in the King James Bible, but it's not. "Kata" means every, not an article uh, in there. It's uh, actually a word in the Greek Bible, uh, and it should be in our English Bible as well. But that's the meaning of it. Uh, The reason I say that is because I've had people argue with me, uh, well, preachers mostly, uh, the Bible doesn't say every first day of the week okay you don't have to meet every first day of the week it just says the first day of the week but it doesn't specify which one it does say which one it says every first day of the week but if you're going to be reasonable about it you don't really need to have the word every in it on the first day of the week what week every week has a first day i would logically suppose that i'm supposed to meet on every first day of the week. But the Lord, I guess he knew some people were going to wrangle around about it. And uh, he did put in every, on every first day of the week that it should settle the argument. Let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Let's switch over to the English Standard Version for a moment. It's, uh, It's accurate. On the first day of every week, each of you, each one of you, each family of you, is to put something aside out of your paycheck, okay? This is gonna be a family. It's not gonna be just, well, it could be one person if the one person lives by himself, but it's talking about one unit. Each of you is to put something out of your paycheck aside, and then store it up. Where? He's gonna say in a few moments that there'll be no collections when I come. He doesn't want to come to my house, your house, and Breland's house. He wants to come to one place and collect the money. Well, where are you gonna store it up at? You know, there's only one logical place to store it, and that's gonna be in the congregation, in the treasury that would be created. The Jews always had a treasury. It wasn't something new. Each of you is to put something aside out of your paycheck, store it up in the local congregation as he may prosper. Oh, I don't have time for this now because we're going to get into a discussion, I think. Let's take up uh, here, 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 next week, uh, Lord willing. It's only the first few verses that takes a little time. The rest of it, we'll go right through. Next week, God willing, we'll start Second Corinthians chapter 1.